so blessed here at Southwoods, aren't we, every week, this great group of people that make music and lead us in music. We're so grateful. Thank you, guys. My name's Lori Montague. I'm Greg's wife. It's good to see each of you. Glad that you're here. If you haven't noticed, we maybe are missing a few of our friends because they're at the lake. A lot of our students and families are there enjoying this wonderful weekend that God has given them to celebrate the summer's end and back to school. So continue to pray for them, that God will show up among them, and that they'll have a wonderful time together, and that God will bring them home safely. I think they're even on the road right now, so we'll be praying for them. But we're so glad that even while they are at the lake, that you've chosen to be here, because today we're going to be talking about this idea of what it means to be created for connection created for connection. Several years ago, you know, I was a school teacher and so I was always kind of drawn to things that children would say. And I read a little book called The All Better Book. I don't know if anybody ever saw that book. And in that book, elementary children were asked some questions. You know, questions like, uh, what do you want to do and how could you help us with the ozone layer? And how could you help us with a global warming? And what could you do if you had a chance to talk to people about how to quit smoking and questions like that? But then all of a sudden they were asked this most uh, important question. I think I put it up here on the screen for you. It says, with billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. A system where no one is lonely. And then they asked the elementary children, and these are children about seven, eight, nine years old, what do you suggest? What do you suggest? And here are some of their suggestions. I'd like to share them with you. One little gal named Kalani, which is a beautiful name, age eight, she said, people should find lonely people and ask them their name and address, then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address, and when you have an even amount of each, assign lonely and not lonely people together. I read this years ago, and I've wondered if Kalani wasn't actually the founder of Match.com. <laughs> Max, age eight, he, or age nine, he suggested, here's an idea to overcome loneliness. Make food that talks to you when you eat. For example, I like it when people give examples. It would say, how are you doing? And what happened to you today? Can you imagine that if your cucumber salad just started talking? I think that's the perfect happy meal, you know? Food that talks. Matt said this, we could get people a pet or a husband <laughs> or a wife and maybe they could go places. I think that's the idea of a road trip with a friend, furry or not, right? But then the most heartbreaking and touching response comes uh, from Brian, age nine. He said, uh, maybe a solution for our loneliness would be to sing a song or to stomp your feet or to read a book. And then he added, parenthetically, sometimes I think no one loves me, so that's what I do when I'm lonely. Again, the question that these children were asked is with billions and billions and billions, I think we have like seven billion people in the world, Seven people, billions of the world, How, wh why are people lonely? And someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. Well, the truth is, for centuries, uh, some of the smartest grown-ups, not just children, have been trying to figure out systems to help us with our loneliness. That's probably why we have social workers and therapists and psychologists and 
pastors and teachers and social workers. That's probably why we have built things like community buildings and country clubs and coffee shops and karaoke bars and casinos and schools and even churches have been built to help people with loneliness. And today I find it so interesting that because of the internet we don't even have to leave home <laughs> as we try to connect. We can try to remove the pain of loneliness by clicking and scrolling, by texting and clicking, by snapping and chatting, by tweeting, and whatever new thing that we do now on social media, all in the attempt and in our endeavor to connect. And today, friends, what I'd like for us to talk about is not a new thing. It's something you've heard before. But the question is why? Why do we have a need to connect. We obviously do. And I hope over the next several minutes, as we kind of walk through what the Bible has to say about our need to connect, you'll understand why we're wired that way. And not only just how we're wired, but also what do we do with that wiring? What's the best way that God has designed for us to connect with others? Really, this whole idea of connection is just as old as mankind. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you're going to see that this need for connection is actually wired into us and into our DNA. We were created for connection. And actually, the Genesis story, the creation story, tells us this again and again. As you read the creation story, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but there's a little song in the creation story. Have you noticed the song? The song goes like this. God said... And it was so, and God saw that it was good. And then the song is repeated, a second verse. God said, and it was so, and God saw that it was good. You've heard the song, God said, let there be light. And it was so, and God saw that it was good. God said, let the sun and the moon and the stars give light by day and by night. And it was so, and God saw that it was good. God said, let the waters be gathered together into oceans and to rivers and to streams and to ponds and to lakes and let dry land appear and mountains and valleys. And it was so, and God saw that it was good. God said, let plants grow, vegetation, and let wild animals fill the earth and let the birds of the sky fill the sky and let the fish of the sea fill the sea. And it was so. And God saw that it was good again and again and again. The song is sung. God said it. It was so. And God saw that it was good. Until the final verse. This little song comes to a screeching halt, if you will. God creates man in his own image. And God looks at this man who bears his likeness. He's an image bearer of God. And he says for the first time in all of creation something's not good. And you might ask yourself, what's not good? <laughs> what's not good about this man? There's no sin yet. There's no disobedience. There's nothing to mar the relationship between God and man. How can it not be good? This human being is in this perfect state of intimacy with God. He talks with him, the creation story tells us. He walks with him in the garden in the cool of the day. He's known by him. He's loved by him. And yet God looks at Adam and he says, this isn't good. 
And what is it that's not good about Adam? He's alone. And of course you know that and you remember it. Read it with me. You can turn in your Bibles if you'd like or just look here on the screen. Genesis 2, 15 through 20. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And then here's where the song stops. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. And so the Bible says that the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. And if you keep reading, you know the story. God causes Adam to go into a deep sleep, and then from his side, he creates Eve, woman. And from that time on, there has been the potential and the need for relationship. From that time on, there's been the potential for what the New Testament calls fellowship. There's been potential for what I'm calling community or connectivity. And the truth is, we thrive within the commitment of a godly marriage because we were made for that. We thrive within the unconditional love of a family because we were made for that. And what happens to loneliness in the context of a real friendship? Loneliness evaporates. It disappears when authentic and real friendship has an opportunity to grow. Genesis reminds us that we were created to connect. We were created for connection. It's in our DNA. Now, granted, some of us are extroverts, and we need a little bit more time with people than those of you who are introverts. But undeniably, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, you have a need to connect with others. God said it in Genesis. It's not good for man to be alone. Secondly, if we keep walking through scripture, not only do we see that it's in our DNA for connection and for community, but we see that the very best human being that ever lived on the earth, and that would be Jesus Christ, he lived out a life of connectivity. He lived out a life of community. He lived out a life of being connected with others. Think for just a minute about his name. At Christmas time, we sing it, Emmanuel right? Jesus. We call him Emmanuel. What does it mean? God with us. Even his name screams that he's here for connection. God with us. And it wasn't just his name. The Bible continues to show us that he lived out his name. He lived out friendship, authentic and true connection with people. I always think about it. He could have, if he wanted to, said, Lord, I'll go to the earth, but I would like that little island that we created that's way out there in that beautiful blue sea. Do you know which one I'm talking about? You've seen it, and it has a couple of palm trees, and i just like to go there. Would that be okay? Just me and you, Lord, and the island, okay? He could have done that. 
But no, the Bible says he came to earth and he lived out this life of community. He chose to live with us, as his name says, God with us. He chose 12 disciples, 12 men, to spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for many, many years. That ought to say something to us about his ability and his desire to connect with others. He lived out a life of community. I've always found it interesting as well that in one of his final prayers, not in the garden, but prior to the garden, in John chapter 17, which if you've never spent time there in that chapter, you should. You would enjoy it and be blessed by it. But in that chapter, he prays for his disciples, and he also prays for us as well. And I've always found it interesting that he didn't pray for their success. That's probably what I would have paid, prayed for. Pray for the mission to be accomplished and for them to, be do well, to do well. He didn't pray for them to be powerful or influential or wealthy and have all their needs taken care of. But he prayed for them and prayed for us as well to find connection. Look at it. John chapter 17, if you have your Bibles or look here on the screen. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And that's us. And then he says, I pray that they will be one. Do you see his desire? His desire is so similar to the DNA that God put into us. He didn't want these guys to be silos of self-identity. You know, here's Peter, and here's Andrew, and here's James, and here's John, and here's Nathaniel, and here's Paul. You know, just little silos of identity. But rather, he said, I want them and all believers to be in a relationship that'll demonstrate power and demonstrate strength and demonstrate energy and demonstrate support. And that's what comes when we're connected and when we're unified. That was his desire. And he also not only lived a life of community and lived a life of friendship, but the Bible even tells us that when he died on the cross, he actually additionally was showing us a life of connectivity. He was even dying so that we could be connected. In his final act, he died not only so that we could be connected with one another, the horizontal part of the cross, but he died so that we could be connected with God, the vertical part of the cross. You can read about it all through scripture, but I think one of the places that talks about it most plainly is in Romans chapter 5. Again, follow along on the screen. But God, you know it, showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when? While we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God, do you see these relational words, was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now, verse 11 says, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ and how he has made us friends of God. Isn't it interesting? that even in his death, he was still committed to this idea of community. Even in his death, he was providing a way that we could be connected to our Heavenly Father, really for the first time, really connected through Jesus 
to our Heavenly Father. We could be friends of God. Jesus removed the barrier of sin, as we know, and he offers us the ultimate of friendships, friendship with our Creator. And so I hope you're beginning to see that from creation, the Genesis story, where God says it's not good for man to be alone, to the life of Christ, Jesus Christ, who also, not only in his name, but in the way that he lived and even in the way that he died, was committed to this idea of community and connection. And all the way to the early church. You see, it didn't stop in Genesis, or it didn't stop with Jesus. Because if you keep reading the New Testament, you see again and again and again the life of this new church, this new way of living, is a life of, commun of community, a life of connection. One of my favorite passages of scripture, which underscores the beauty of the local church, found in Acts chapter 2, says these kinds of things. Because remember, on that day, the day of Pentecost, when all of these Jews from literally all over the world had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, gathered together there on the Temple Mount to celebrate this feast, the giving of the law is what they're celebrating. And the Bible tells us that on that day of all days, and interestingly, we could talk about that for a long time, God decided to send his spirit in a way he'd never sent before. And that day, his Holy Spirit showed up among the men and women there. And they began, the Bible tells us, to teach and to prophesy in languages that were not their own. Why? Because there's people there from all over the world. And they began to preach. And the Bible tells us that Peter, who we know is a good talker, he spoke and he preached like he'd never preached before. And the people who were there, the Bible says, said, wait a minute, Peter. Are you telling us that we're responsible for the death of the Messiah? And he says, you are. And they were pricked in their hearts, the Old Testament, the New Testament says in the Old Version. They were convicted in their hearts. And they said to Peter, what must we do? to be saved. And Peter said, repent, be baptized for the remissions of your sin, and you too can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you can be made right through the person of Jesus Christ. And then we pick it up here. The Bible tells us here in chapter 2 that those who believed what Peter said were baptized. And they were added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And then it was awesome. Not like a good meal, not like a great song, not like a wonderful thing that happens. But the Bible says they were filled with a deep sense of awe. And the apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders. And then look at the relational words. And all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions. They shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Does this sound like a bunch of disjointed, unconnected friends who occasionally check in or touch base? Not to me. 
all of the believers were connected in this new and local church. And this is just some 50 days after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were doing exactly what God had designed them to do. They were doing exactly what they'd seen Jesus model. They were living lives of community. Look one more time at these verbs. They met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And the result was that this group just stayed this exclusive little country club kind of group. You know, we've got it together, we're fine, we don't really need anybody else, we're full, enough seats are filled. No, what did the Lord do? The Lord looked at them and the Bible says, the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. The Lord said, this is what we want to do in the local church. Take, one, take care of one another and add more to it. And if we had time today, we could continue to read through the New Testament and see the advice of the Apostle Paul and others as they're talking to those churches in those days, but actually to our church in this day, saying all kinds of excellent advice about how to stay connected, how to build community. And he says things like this, love one another, pray for one another, serve one another, greet one another, encourage one another, Meet often with one another. Worship regularly with one another. Do you see the emphasis on others? In a me-centered world where we're mostly self-absorbed, God said the way to connect with others, the way to build community in your church is to look beyond your bubble, to look beyond yourself, to look beyond your phone, and to see those who are in need of you. Pray for them, love them, serve them, encourage them, greet them, hang out with them. God's desire for biblical community is for the one another's in the church, and it's for everyone another. Do you see it? And I hope that you're beginning to see that from creation, where God said it's not good for you to be alone, all the way to Jesus, whose name means God with us and who lived a life of connection and community, to the local church, the early church and the continued local church of today, God's desire and design is for us to build community, to be there for one another, to connect. And so the question is, how do we do it? How do we do it? What's the best way? to fulfill God's desire for us to be connected. Just yesterday, as I was finishing my message, I, I read this article actually by a friend of mine. And he had a great quote, and I'd like to share it with you. He says, friends are hard to come by these days. And then he said, sadly, and especially at church. That got my attention, and I clicked. <laughs> In an age of social media, he says, and instant connections, authentic community is a rare thing indeed. Facebook, he says, has reinterpreted friendship to mean anybody with whom you accept connection can be my friend. Twitter reduces relationships to a mere following. I'm following you. And he says, never before has humanity been so connected and yet so alone. 
Never before has humanity been more connected and yet so lonely. He went on to say, our hyper-connection to web technology has only highlighted the relational holes in our human heart. Real relationships are naturally messy. They're unpredictable. They're fluid. But the best relationships, the ones that truly change us, are marked by respect and by trust and by love and by joy. And those relationships, as we all know, take time. They take effort. They take commitment. And at Southwoods over the years, we've found that this idea of biblical community and biblical connection works best when we, as a local church, gather together in small groups. That's how we found that it works best. We see it in Acts 2. They went to the temple to worship, and then they gathered in someone's home for a meal or for prayer or for praise or for an opportunity to uh, observe the Lord's Supper. And these groups, as we've noticed at Southwoods, can happen in a lot of different ways. They can meet in homes, and they often do. They can meet at the church. There's nothing wrong with that. They can be groups that gather to serve on ministry teams, like this group that you see every Sunday. This is a ministry team. This is a group. They not only share their wonderful gifts with us, but they pray together. They text one another. They look out for one another. When they need a meal, they share a meal. So it doesn't have to be just a group that meets you know, to pray or to study. It can be a group that meets to serve. It can be a group that goes on a mission trip. Some of you regularly go on mission trips. And you remember when I ask you, who went on the mission trip with you? You'll tell me quickly. Because you had an experience with those people doing something that you were called to. It can be groups of children. For years and years, I worked with children here at Southwoods. And one of my favorite times was when after we do activity stations and after we do large group teaching and singing and worship, we'd say, it's time for small groups. Go to your group and to watch the children scatter to their group and to hug their group leaders, and then to sit down and think, hmm, how do I talk about and apply the things that I just learned? And how do I share with you that my dog is sick and that my grandma's in the hospital? And in those moments, we would connect with those children. So it can be groups of children. It can be groups of students down at the lake like they are this weekend. It can be families who gather together. It can be men only, like here on Tuesday morning and Saturday morning. It can be women only, like here on Thursday morning and Thursday night and Monday night and Saturday morning. It can be groups of men and women. It can be groups of couples. It can be groups of singles. It can be groups of young adults. It can be groups of empty nesters. It can be groups of humanity because we all come in different shapes and sizes. And the key is not what the group looks like, but the key is that over time, the group members begin to look more like Jesus. That's our goal. We don't care what the group itself looks like, but that over time, we look at one another and we're saying, you look more like Jesus than you did when you came to our group. That's the idea. The key is not so much what the group does, but the key is, in fact, that over time, the group together and individually will do more things that remind us of what Jesus would do if he were here. And we say, what would Jesus do? And then we do it together or individually, and we pray for one another, and we encourage one another. Jesus said it so simply in Matthew chapter 18. He said these words, 
For where two or three gather together as my followers, I'm there. I'm there. Where two or three gather together as my followers, I'm there and I'm among them. And that's why I never worry too much about our groups because I think if Jesus is there, good things are going to happen. Recently, I talked to one of our life group leaders here at Southwoods and I said, top of mind, just off the top of your head, don't think about this too much. But I just want to ask you, give me 10 verbs that regularly happen in your group when you get together. And he's like, oh, let me write it down. I'm like, no, no, no pencil, no paper, no thinking, no nothing, just talk to me. What are 10 verbs that you would say describe your group? And he said, well, first of all, we eat. He's a guy. We eat. Then he said, we connect, we read, we learn, we discuss, we grow, we help. Uh, we share, we share like stuff and thoughts. Uh, we always pray, we always pray together and for one another. And he said, we change, we change. And then he goes, can I add one more? Cause I think that's 10. And I said, yeah. And he goes, we laugh, we laugh a lot. And I said, good job. Sounds like your group is an Acts 2 kind of group. You see, here at Southwoods, we believe, and we have for, I don't know, how long we've been going at this, Greg? Almost 30 years. <laughs> we believe that small groups are a place that can provide all kinds of things. One of the things it can provide is a place to belong. A place to belong. You might say, I don't feel like I belong. Well, maybe you should check out a group. It can be a place for you to belong. We believe that it can be a place where you can be blessed and that you can bless others. We also believe that it can be a place to provide grace where you can discover what and why you believe. Every one of us has questions. Every one of us has doubts. And a group is a place where you'll have some grace to say, I just don't see that. I don't understand that. Help me understand. Pray for me that I can get this because I'm not seeing it in my life. Help me. We believe that a group is a place and can provide you time to build lasting relationships and can help you become a fully devoted follower of Christ. And some of those things will happen in life groups. Some of those things will happen in Refuge, which is our Wednesday night weekly program that happens for four weeks in the fall, in the winter, in the spring. Sometimes it happens in the men's group, women's ministry. Those are just the avenues, if you will. But all of those things, belonging and blessing and believing and building and an opportunity to become a fully devoted follower are really a part of what we believe and want to happen when you enter into a group. Now, every time I talk about groups, I can always see it on your faces. Some of you are like, oh, there's Lori talking about groups again. And you feel the angst, don't you? You're like, I don't want to be in a group. I don't want to go. I feel, uh, I have angst. And I want you to know that even after all these years, and I'm more than 30, <laughs> even after all these years, I grew up as a preacher's kid. I married a pastor. My job is ministry direction, actually, of groups, and I'm kind of an extroverted person. But even with all those things in my history, there are times that even I just go, 
It's tonight, group. Is it Thursday morning again? And I even have to push through and get to my group. And I share that so you won't think bad of me, but that so you'll understand that I understand the angst of sometimes going to a group. But every time, and I'm not lying, I would never lie to you, but every single time I push through and I go, I am not disappointed. Because every time I go to the group where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus said, I'm there. And so I see him. I meet with my Lord. And also, I meet friends, old friends with whom I have history, new friends with whom I'm excited to say, wow, let's get to know each other. You can ask Greg. There are times that I get into the car and I say, I don't know if I can do group tonight. <laughs> my list is long and I'm tired. And he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because then on the way home, guess what the conversation is? I loved group. I love our group. We had the best time. I'm so glad I went. Aren't you glad I went? Wasn't it fun? It's the truth. He's nodding. It's the absolute truth. And so I want to encourage you today, if you've never been in a group or you've said no to a group for a while, to begin thinking about it. You don't have to sign anything today. You don't have to talk to any one of us today, although if you'd like to, we'd love for you to. We have all kinds of things in your bulletin. Thank you to Jackie, who put all my little things in here. This one, take a look at it, tells you that we have eight life groups right now. We have five women's groups. We have two men's groups. We have Wednesday evening, three classes for adults. You can read about those on another insert. And on the back are all our life groups at this point that are listed. We're actually meeting this week, so some of this information might slightly change. But these are our groups at this present time. These are our classes. You can look in there about refuge. We have three great classes that are happening this fall. Again, maybe not as much opportunity to connect, but you'll get to know the people in your class, and you'll learn something. You'll grow. Women's ministry, all kinds of information at the coffee table. All kinds of opportunities just come. Men's ministry, we have fantastic groups here for men. Fantastic groups. Lots and lots of stuff happens in those men's groups that are very, very important. And so as I look around, I know a lot of you are already in groups, but I'm sharing this today so that you can share it with others who say, I don't know anything about the groups here at Southwoods. Now you do. And if someone ever says, why do we have groups? You can start in creation. You can go to Christ, and you can go to the local church in Acts chapter 2 and say, I think that's why we have groups, because we're designed for it. Jesus lived it, and the early church modeled it again and again and again. Our desire for you is to get connected. And so today, if we can help you with that, I hope and pray that you talk to me, talk to anyone around here, any one of these leaders that are listed. You can email them. You can call them. You can call the church office. We want to get you connected. We don't want you to be lonely. It's our system, if you will, to solve the loneliness problem. You don't have to have food that talks to you. <laughs> you don't even have to have a pet like that one guy suggested you can just join a group. Keep thinking about it. Look at your calendars and talk to us. But this morning, as we wrap up our time together, um, I want to remind you that in addition to all of these groups that I've been talking about, there is one small group that is the very best for you. 
today. And that is the group that starts with you and your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You're invited. You're invited to that group. You're invited to join them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so this morning, even as we do every Sunday, we're going to gather together for communion. Isn't it interesting that communion sounds an awful lot like the word community? Isn't it interesting that when Jesus died on the cross, as I said earlier, he died not only for our sin, but he died so that a way could be made. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come or be connected to the Father except through me. I am the way. And so this morning, I want to ask you, as you enter into this time of communion, to think about that relationship. Where are you with the Lord today? You've been invited into his group, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He longs for nothing more than for you to be in relationship with him. And he went, as you know, to great lengths by giving his life so that you could be connected, connected to Jesus and connected through Jesus to your creator. In a few moments, our ushers are going to come and they're going to pass those familiar emblems like we do every Sunday. Jesus said, take the bread and eat it and remember my body that was given on your behalf and for your sin. And he said, and when the cup comes around, take it and drink it and remember that my blood has been shed to give you not only forgiveness of sins, but to for once and for all make a way that you can be connected to your Heavenly Father. And so in these moments, would you commune with Him, the original small group? Would you invite others to join you? And would you talk to Him and thank Him for the connection that is ours through Jesus Christ? Let's bow our heads, let's pray, then our ushers will serve us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for this opportunity that we have to gather here in this place dedicated to your glory dedicated for the opportunity to worship and to dig into your word and to serve and to observe the Lord's Supper. And so we come today like that local church, devoting ourselves to you once again. And I ask, Lord, that as we commune with you, that as we meet with you through your son that you've given, that we'd be reminded of our connection to him, we'd be reminded of our connection through him. We thank you, Lord that in him you see us as righteous. You see us as right. And so we take these emblems and we honor your son. We remember his body, we remember his blood. And once again, we commit ourselves to being connected to you in the best possible way. And then as a result of the love that you've shown to us, Lord, help us to connect with others and to do it in the way that you've provided. Thanks for community and thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.